Blessed is the one whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord and who chews over his instruction day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Heavenly Father, please bless us now as we come to your word. Instruct us with good news of who you are and what you are doing in the world. Help us to see our place in your great rescue plan so that we may be planted in hard times and bear fruit for you in season. Amen. The reading is taken from Hebrews 10 verses 32 to 38 and 12 verses 1 to 3. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Ryan. Um, is this recording? You'll notice there is a new microphone today. <laughs> So if anyone starts drifting off, I've got, I can break out into some dance moves. So you don't want to miss that. Um, actually, my sneeze is quite loud. Usually, <laughs> if I sneeze to death, cover your ears. As Mark said, we are about a month through our, um, our time of thinking about discipleship and what that means for us. Um, and so yes, we've been thinking about how everything flows from the big picture of the earth being filled with people who are like God and who love him. And that means following Jesus, it means learning from him, it means imitating him, and that all sounds pretty good, pretty positive, I like that. And then we come to enduring. And that does not sound quite so attractive, perhaps. Do we really need to go through this week? 
But Jesus tells us that enduring is part of following him. It's part of it. There's a cost to following Jesus. Really, Jesus? That's a, that's a bit full on, Jesus. Are you sure about that? Jesus says, yes. Following him means enduring. There is a cost always to following Jesus. And we're talking about Christians enduring opposition, specifically for being Christians. Um, so, today, we're not talking about um, enduring other types of suffering, which uh, often we do go through, and sometimes very uh, severely, for all sorts of reasons, um, whether uh, illness, or, or, or grieving, or unemployment, very serious things. Um, today, we're not going to be talking about those particular things. Today we're thinking about suffering specifically for being a Christian. And maybe you're not a Christian, um, or maybe you've been a Christian for just a short time, and, and this idea of cost is actually a bit new to you. And it's very important to know that Jesus never promises becoming a Christian means getting an easy life. Jesus never promises that. Actually, he promises becoming a Christian means... Giving up your life. It means giving up your life. Okay. Now we all recognise that uh, it is normal for something good to have a cost to it. I mean, you could think of uh, Mo Farah. Mo Farah was won four Olympic gold medals, and did that come easy to him? No, it did not. I mean, he would, on average, run 130 miles a week training. That is a lot. That is a big cost. That would hurt anyone. Um, so there is, there is, it's very normal for something good to have a cost attached to it. That is not normal in life. I think we recognise that. And Jesus says that the cost of being his disciple is your life. In Mark 8, Jesus says this. Jesus said very clearly, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus says the cost of being his disciple is your life. Now there are many types of um, cost in the Christian life and one of the big costs as we're looking at today is opposition. Opposition, And this should not really be surprising when you think about it, because Jesus faced opposition all through his life, especially the three years when he was ministering. All sorts of opposition. And Jesus faced opposition, therefore it makes sense that Jesus' followers also face opposition. That makes sense. I mean, you could think of any number of examples, but um, think of Martin Luther King. You know, uh, big. Um, so, I mean, he was in the 1960s. You know, the movement for civil rights in America against discrimination. He had a lot of opposition from people, very strong opposition. And if you followed him, Martin Luther King, you would also uh, have opposition against you too, because you are following him. You'd also receive the same opposition. That's that's naturally what happens when you follow someone who is opposed. Jesus faced opposition. So Jesus' followers also faced opposition. That was true in his day. That was true in the early church. And that is still true today, of course. But the question is, what kind of opposition should we expect today? 
What is Jesus talking about? And that's where this letter to the Hebrews is really, really helpful. Now this letter uh, was written to Christians facing opposition. And in this first paragraph that we had uh, read out to us, the writer reminds these people he's writing to about previous opposition that they had already faced. He's saying, remember that previous time. So let, let me read this out again. Hebrews 10, from verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great, in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So these Christians he's writing to had previously been publicly exposed to insults and persecution. And the persecution here is likely referring to Christians being expelled from Rome at one time. And the book of Acts refers to Christians who were, who were expelled, who were likely expelled in this way. And we can see that they, um, they've had their property confiscated. Now imagine that, imagine your house or your flat is taken from you because you're a Christian. Imagine that. Perhaps that's hard to imagine. It doesn't happen very much to us here in London today. But it does happen around the world. And we hear lots of stories from around the world. It's really worth actually kind of finding out about um, persecuted churches around the world. Um, there are a couple of organisations that are especially helpful for that. Uh, the Barnabas Fund, the Open Doors. We get these magazines through our, our letterbox every month telling us about the persecuted church, which is happening right now around the world in all sorts of places. You know, a church is being burnt down. Um, Christians being imprisoned. Christian refugees fleeing from their country because it's not safe. We must pray for them. Persecution is really happening around the world. And hearing how Christians get through that persecution is really encouraging to show how God is worthy of their trust. They keep trusting him through that. Now, persecution doesn't happen to us, as I said, much yet here in London. But it is becoming less respectable to be a Christian, even here in London. It's had Christianity in this country for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it is becoming less respectable. And persecution of greater sorts might well happen. And as a church, I think, I think it's good to ask, really, you know, what would we be ready to bear that cost if that happens? It is, it's not unimaginable. We need to consider that. Insults and persecutions. What about, what about insults? Do we get insults for being a Christian? I think we do, in all sorts of ways. We can be insulted for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, it can range from uh, when a, a, a TV celebrity kind of gently rips into Christians for being you know, just a bit stupid. You know, you get that on TV sometimes. That's, that's a little thing. It could be when your work colleague says, oh, you know, you really shouldn't talk about Jesus in the office. That, that's offensive. It could be that. It could be when a member of your family uh, rolls their eyes again at you when you talk about you know, being at church. and It's as if they're saying to you, kind of, well, I can't believe you still go along with all that Jesus stuff. Why, why do you do that? Insults and shame. 
can be very hard to deal with. It's an opposition of a far more kind of subtle sort often, but it can still be very, very hard, and we feel it very keenly. And it can, because it can be very personal, I think. It's often from family or friends. That's when it's perhaps the hardest. And maybe sometimes you can deal with it fine. But a lot of times it just starts to get at you a bit. And maybe it just yeah, more and more kind of grinds away at you, and it can, it can be easy to, to grow weary and lose heart a bit. And that's why Hebrews 12 is really good news for us. Really good news. In Hebrews 12 verse 3, the writer says that he wants his readers to not grow weary or lose heart. That's, that's, that's why he's writing this letter. Take heart as a Christian. So whether we're facing opposition for being a Christian right now, you know, persecution maybe, or certainly kind of insults or shame to, kind of, to some degree, we need to know how to face that opposition. We need help to endure. And through this Hebrews passage, God tells us how to endure, which is wonderful. This is what we need. Let me read this, these three verses in Hebrews 12 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which is referring to uh, previous Christians who have died trusting in the Lord Jesus, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. How are we to endure opposition? Verse 1 says, throw off everything that stops you enduring. Let us keep running the race. How? Verse 2, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus so that we will not lose heart. Now when we're fixed on something, it's a bit like we're obsessed with it, isn't it? You know, you might say to a friend, oh, he's got his heart fixed on that new car he wants. That's a silly example, but it's when you're kind of obsessed about something, you can't take your eyes off it. And the writer here says, to endure opposition, have your eyes and your heart fixed on Jesus. Not on anyone else, on anything else, on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. First, because Jesus endured shame. Jesus endured shame. How do Christians keep going in times of opposition? Verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. But Jesus endured opposition in so many ways, but especially when he was being crucified to death on a wooden cross. And this death was God's plan. Jesus would voluntarily suffer on behalf of human sin as a swap for sinners so that we're no longer cut off from God. And that's the heart of the Christian message. The pain of this death would have been horrendous 
But even more than the pain, Jesus endured shame. Jesus was utterly humiliated before the watching world. He was, he was shamed. I mean, he claimed that he was God's own son. That he was God's chosen king for the whole world. But then he was found guilty and caught of things he didn't do. He was declared a criminal. He was whipped. He was spat at. He was paraded through the streets. He was brutally pinned up by nails on a cross. For everyone to see. He was almost naked. The people thought, what a loser. Such a loser. Look at him. He's completely shamed. If you're having a hard time as a Christian, it can really feel like you're being told, what a loser. What a loser. Now, I've had friends say to me, I can't believe you believe in Jesus. I mean, really, it's so stupid. They're kind of saying, Chris, you're a loser. And no one likes being thought of a loser. It's, it's humiliating. Uh, and I know for some cultures, shame is you know, perhaps the biggest thing in, the, in, in that culture. To be shamed is kind of the worst thing imaginable. But I think in this country too, like, shame is, is a big thing because respectability is a really big thing, isn't it? You know, we love being polite, and people hate being disrespected. I think there's an aspect of shame in, in that kind of dynamic. And sometimes we might talk to someone. Imagine you're talking to someone about Jesus. And they reply saying something like, oh, well, Jesus is not really my thing, actually. Slightly condescending, you know. I'm, I'm a rational person. I don't believe in that stuff, you know. It's like they're saying, you know, I use my brain. You Christians, you don't use your brain. That's, that's a pretty shameful thing to put across, isn't it? They think our beliefs about Jesus are stupid. What a loser. That's why it can feel so horrid. And the writer to the Hebrews says, when you face opposition, people will tell you, what a loser. But look at Jesus. He was treated like a loser. He's been there. He's faced that shame. So don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, because Jesus endured shame. He endured shame. Secondly, fix your eyes on Jesus because Jesus endured for joy. That's the second thing. What did Jesus do when he faced shame on the cross? Verse 2 says, he, um, he scorned shame. He scorned it. Or you could say, he, um, he thought nothing of it. So even though the, the shame kind of hurt him, it didn't crush him somehow. But why was that? Well, verse 2 tells us, it says, For the joy set before him. So Jesus knew on the cross that his experience, well, it was not the full picture, actually. There was a joy waiting for him. And that joy was that after dying and rising from the dead, he would return to God as Father. Verse 2 tells us that after the resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where he went afterwards. There was a joy waiting for him. He knew he'd get there. And it seems that in the middle, even in the middle of being paraded as a, as a loser, he had this thought before him, and in his mind and in his heart, that there is a joy waiting for me. 
And this joy waiting for him just totally changed how he treated the shame that he was experiencing. You could say it's a bit like the shame was shouting to him, Jesus, what a loser! What a loser! But in Jesus' heart, he was saying, listen here, shame. I'm not a loser. You are. It's a bit like that, in a way. Shame, you're just temporary. In three days, I will be in heaven with God the Father. And on the cross, I will have paid the penalty for people's sins so that they could be brought back to God. God will be honoured. I will be vindicated. That makes me happy. That's what's going through Jesus' mind and his heart at this point. Jesus endured the shame on the cross because he knew that the shame would not last. It wouldn't. God is not a loser. And very soon he would be honoured and vindicated. I think this really helps us as we face opposition today, or as we uh, prepare to face opposition. And we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus' joy. So let Jesus remind you that shame is just temporary. It's just temporary. And it will not last. The problem is that the shame can feel so deep. But that doesn't mean it's real. It won't last. So what do we do? What do we do? We take heart. That's what we're called to do. Whether we're facing opposition at the moment or preparing to face it as we should in the future. Here's, here's what we can do in taking heart. First, we need to pray. We have to be praying. We perhaps pray that uh, Jesus will help us in those moments when we face opposition. In those actual moments, you know, pray that in those moments he will remind us in our mind and in our hearts, he will remind us that he suffered opposition too, that he felt shame, that this is normal, that the shame won't last, and that one day God will be vindicated and that everyone will know that. Pray that he will remind us of those things when it's right in that moment and it's very hard. And pray that as you experience Jesus reminding us of these things, that over time, the shame just, it won't feel as painful. First, pray. Uh, secondly, we've got to prepare together. Prepare together. I mean, really helpfully, this passage reminds us that we do, we do endurance together. It's not an individual thing. So helpful to be told that. The writer is writing to uh, church families, not just to individuals. And in verse 1, the writer says, let us do this, let us do that. Three times he says, us, us, us. Every instruction here is to Christians as church, not as individuals. It's a together thing. Enduring opposition is a together thing. We need each other's support through prayer and encouragement. And the big way... To prepare for opposition is to be is to be growing together in our trust in Jesus day to day and then living it out day to day. That's the best way to prepare for opposition. And how do we do that? We do that by listening to God's word to us and letting it shape our desires and our habits. Also, verse one tells us that we are to endure together by throwing off sin. Throw off sin. That is, we need to be turning away from, uh, from sinful living and sinful desires and growing and living a life that honours God instead. That's how to prepare together to face opposition. 
And if we do that, then the shame from our world won't feel as painful. Because we'll value how God views us far more highly than how the world sees us. Which is very significant. We need to pray. We need to prepare together. Following Jesus means following him into opposition and shame. And there is a cost. But take heart. Because Jesus has endured the shame. Because of the joy waiting for him. And the wonderful thing is that when we face opposition and God helps us to endure it, people who aren't yet Christians do notice this. And they find it attractive often. Because being able to endure shame is pretty rare in the world in many ways. You know, many people find it so hard, or so natural rather, to just want to take revenge. Someone shames me, I'll shame them back. That's the way the world works, isn't it? This is different, and it's noticeable. So when people see us endure, then it could lead to kind of conversations. Like, um, they might ask us, well, why, do you, why did you endure that hurtful comment? Or whatever it might be. Why, why did you just put up with it? Why didn't you lash out and take revenge? Why, why didn't you do that? And you might say, well, because, because I follow Jesus. And Jesus endured shame by dying on the cross for me. And I follow him. Oh, I see. That's, um, that's different. That's attractive. Following Jesus means following him into opposition and shame. There's a cost. But take heart. Because Jesus has endured the shame. Because of the joy waiting for him. Now some of you might have um, heard of a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German living um, in the 1930s. Uh, he was in Germany in the 1930s when uh, Hitler came to power. A uh, big time of turmoil and change and kind of the rise of the Nazis. And uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, um, a pastor in Germany. And he wrote uh, several books. And this is, this is one of the books he wrote. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. Exactly what we've been talking about today. And this is an excellent, excellent book that's very well worth reading. Uh, he was convinced that cost was an integral part, a non-negotiable part of the Christian life. He was convinced of that, utterly convinced of that. And he knew that it was only because Jesus had paid a cost in going to the cross that we then afterwards pay a cost too in our lives. He knew that it was not we bear the cost first, but because Jesus bore it first, then we bear a cost in response to that. Let me read a, a short quote from him relating to that. He says, God lets himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross. On the cross he is weak and powerless in the world. And that is precisely the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he knew the cost, and in Germany, not all that many people, even in the church, were standing up to Hitler. I mean, who would? That's scary. But he stood up to Hitler, and he write things about Hitler, and he kept on disobeying Hitler. He knew that discipleship had a cost, 
And he even went to America at one point, but he was determined to come back. He could have stayed there and stayed safe, but he came back to Germany to be with Christians and to endure the cost there. In 1943 he was arrested for being part of the resistance, and just before the end of the war he died. He was in a concentration camp and uh, he was hanged. And let me read this. Um, a camp doctor who, uh, there was a camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging. And he describes the scene, which is quite remarkable. Let me read this. The prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the hut, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensured in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Can you imagine the shame of being executed by hanging? Can you imagine that? The world tried to heap shame onto Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he endured it happily because he knew that the shame wouldn't last. And he knew that Jesus had endured shame before him. And he was not an extraordinary man. He was in an extraordinary situation, but he followed Jesus as an ordinary disciple. Bearing the cost because he fixed his eyes on Jesus. And that is what we are called to do to fix our eyes on Jesus, whatever the cost. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you, uh, Lord, um, needing your help. We thank you that Jesus uh, died for us, to save us from our sins and to bring us into new life um, with him. And we, uh, we, we know that to follow him there is a cost, but we are so grateful that that is not a cost in vain, that that is a cost of following the Lord Jesus, who knew great cost and great shame himself. I pray, Lord, so much that you would help us to consider our willingness to, 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 bear, to bear the cost in our Christian lives. And you would help us to know what that looks like. And you would help us as a church to think that through and to encourage each other as we do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.